0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We're listening to God's voice today in Exodus 3, Moses and the burning bush. It's one of the few passages where God literally brings the fire. So let's jump right into it. Today, God wants us to know, to feel, to grasp with our gut three things about himself. We're looking at the pursuit of God, the holiness of God, and the silence of God. So first, the pursuit of God. Listen to this. God is always coming after you, right where you are, not where you think you should be. For those of us that grew up with even a little Bible knowledge, or maybe just a cheesy Charlton Heston movie, we might be aware of this story about the burning bush, but maybe not so much else that goes around that story, or even some really important details, like this one. Verse one tells us, that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, in the wilderness of Midian. I can sympathize. In a sense, I too once spent a summer working for my father-in-law. The months before Abby and I got married, I lived with her family in Colorado Springs and worked assembling rail cars at a sheet metal factory that was a client of Abby's dad's. Hard work, hot work, sweaty work, loved it but it was very repetitive and mundane. Now imagine if I'm busy caulking a seam in a railcar exterior, and all of a sudden, I see just outside the open garage door, an oil drum on fire but never exploding, and out from the oil drum is Morgan Freeman's voice, "Zach, Zack. Similarly, think about the really ordinary circumstances that set the context for the burning bush. Moses wasn't prepping himself for some religious experience. He wasn't in a house of worship. He wasn't at a Christian camp or retreat. Heck, he wasn't even anywhere near the gathering of God's people in Egypt. He was in Midian, on the outskirts, just sort of doing his thing. He was, you could say, quarantined in his home, just doing some laundry or walking his dog in the backyard. And God, the God of the universe goes after him there some of us in quarantine may have unknowingly fallen prey to the really unbiblical idea that god can't speak to me where i am that i need a church building or a certain time on sunday for god to talk and to speak to me and yet here in one of the most epic introductions to one of the most epic scenes of redemption in the bible god comes to ordinary moses doing ordinary things not during church time not during prayer time it makes me wonder where in the middle of your ordinary life is god drawing you to himself where is he speaking as the hymn we sang today reminded us he speaks to me everywhere And yet it's a good word to be reminded that the God who speaks everywhere has spoken most clearly and definitively in his word, the Bible, and that even if we're not feeling terribly religious or churchy, and even if we've just kind of blown it royally and are full of shame, God's not waiting around for you to clean yourself up or to make yourself religious or presentable or to put on your church face or your church clothes, God is there for you in your sweats and your gym shorts. He's coming after you in your cubicle. And he's pursuing you in your bed in the darkness with your face all aglow from your phone. God is a God who initiates, who pursues first, who loves first right where we are. So that's the first thing. God is a God who comes after you right where you are, not where you think you should be. Second, we hear from this passage that when Moses took off his shoes, we learn that God wants us to dress super casual when we come to church. JK, JK. What I really mean to say is God is a God who bridges the distance between holiness and face to face. Here's what I mean. Verse 4. God called to Moses from out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And here, we actually have one of the earliest recorded instances of social distancing. We need a meme with a bush and Moses with thug life glasses. Hashtag distancing before it was cool. Why the distance? Because God is holy what does it mean that God is holy one theologian I love puts it this way super simple God's holiness means that he is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor separated sanctified set apart other distanced it's one of God's choice descriptors of himself actually time and again he's called the holy one of Israel In the Psalms, it's what the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven are constantly crying before God, according to Isaiah and Revelation, in the great Sanctus. Holy, holy, holy. Three times. Why? Because he's perfectly, perfectly holy. He's as distanced from sin and evil and brokenness as east is from west. And he is committed to the honor of that distance. God's holiness is that attribute which should strike terror into every fiber of our body. Because the flip side, the punchline of the strong statement, God is holy, is that you are not. And if this holy God is committed to his own honor, he's also radically committed, because of the integrity and goodness of his character, to eradicating anything that's not holy Does that scare you? It should. Keep your distance. You know, there's a lot of talk of justice these days. And it's good talk. It's necessary talk. Christians should be instinctively for justice as God is for justice. But let's not forget what ultimate justice looks like before a holy God. In the words of Romans 3 and Psalm 14, none... Is righteous. No, not one. And later in Romans 6, the wages of this unrighteousness, the wages of sin is death. If we want to talk true justice, deep justice, before a holy God, no one gets off. But this truth presses a huge question onto our present text. Why doesn't Moses instantaneously die then? Why isn't Moses obliterated? We have to look a little later, actually, in Moses' story. In the book of Numbers, chapter 12, that shows the other seemingly contradictory side of the picture. It says that when Moses had these encounters with God, he spoke with God face to face. Or more literally, mouth to mouth. It says this shocking thing, that Moses beholds the form of. Of the Lord. So, how is it that a holy God allows an unholy man to meet him face to face? This is something that actually requires all of Scripture to be unfolded, but we get a kernel here in verse 2 when it says that what appeared to Moses out of the fire was the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, a messenger, a mediator, a bridge builder. A foreshadow and foretaste, of course, of Jesus himself. The great incarnate bridge between the high holiness of God and the kind of face-to-faceness that we need to survive. God would come and say, anyone who has seen me, God would say this through Jesus, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, if you come to me, hang with me, have fellowship with me, your nearness to God is as good as Moses what a gracious God we have that he himself would bridge the distance between holiness and face to face so we've heard about the pursuit of God and we've heard about his holiness and now let's listen to his silence get this we hear from this passage that God's silence is often an invitation to live according to promises he's already made rather than things you're waiting for him to say. I'm going to say that again. God's silence is often an invitation to live according to promises that he's already made rather than things you're waiting for him to say. Think about this for a second. We sometimes forget that when we turn that one page from the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus, in other words when we move from the story of Joseph to the story of Moses, we're fast-forwarding upwards of 400 years. 400 years! Take your mind with me back and rewind it to the year 1620, basically the time just after Shakespeare. The world is a different place 400 years later. We often forget that the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all God's promises to those patriarchs was centuries before Moses hit the scene. And if we're looking at the timeline of the Bible, it's been pointed out by some that this one page turn from Genesis to Exodus marks one of the longest periods of time when God went silent. No divine revelation since the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And after 400 plus years of silence, a pursuing God breaks the silence with a burning bush and a random Midianite shepherd. And so I ask you, how long has God been silent in your life? How long has it been since you've heard from him? And maybe I'll ask an even harder question. How have you interpreted that silence? Have you interpreted the silence as God doesn't love you? God hasn't heard you? God doesn't care about you? God's angry with you? God is punishing you? Or more drastic, God isn't real? Yes, the silence of God has driven many to answer all those questions with that bitter yes. And though I can't answer every question about the silence of God right here and now, we should allow this passage to speak its answer. When we look back at Moses' holy encounter, we recognize that Moses doesn't quite know who he's dealing with, until God discloses himself in verse 6, when he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Several things going on here. First, notice the intimacy and the tenderness. He doesn't simply say, I am the God of Abraham. He says, I am the God of your father. It's as if he's saying, don't interpret my silence as not caring. I know you, because I know your grandpa, and I've always been there. I see you. I've always seen you, and I love you. Second, and probably most powerfully, by invoking the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is invoking all the events of those ancestors, and therefore all of the things said to those ancestors God's very unsilent speech to Abraham when he was making all those loving, tender, and outlandish promises. I will make you a great nation. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I mean, go back. Read Genesis 12 to 17. It's full of God talking, of God promising. And the question God is posing to Moses who arrives at the end of a long stretch of what understandably felt like the silence of God? And the question God poses to you and to me, who are so quick to assume and respond to the silence of God, is this God asks, with all gentleness and fatherly compassion, Are the promises that I've already made not good enough for you? You see, God had spoken. And God has spoken an eternal word in Jesus Christ. What word do we ever need besides that one? Or in the words of the great hymn, How Firm a Foundation, that hits me every time I sing it, what more can he say than to you he has said? Israel was, in fact, for those 400 years, not living under the silence of God. They were living under the promises of God. And so are you, and so am I. Thank God. We live under the loud, eternal, ever-reverberating promises of God. 2,000 years ago, on the outskirts of a medium-sized Middle Eastern town, God picked up a megaphone named Jesus Christ and said, Before Abraham was, I am Jesus claimed the same name, the same divinity, as the God of the burning bush. And that megaphone knew that the full and final word that every last one of us ultimately needed to hear, that word that would fully and finally bridge the gap between God's holiness and the face-to-face, was the, I forgive you, and the, I love you this much, as he stretched out his arms of love on the hard wood of the cross. And for you who labor and languish in the silence of God, hear these 2,000-year-old promises from our crucified God, still good, still reverberating, still speaking to you today. It is finished. I've dealt with your sin. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. I will remember your sins no more. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I will not leave you or forsake you. And I will be with you even unto the end of the age. Listen to all those promises. You see, the prophet Jeremiah knew that God still speaks through flames. The Lord thundered through the prophet, Is not my word like a fire? Jesus, as the divine word of God, is the great burning bush that we're all seeking for a word. The angel of the Lord, the great voice all humanity is listening for. I love you. You are forgiven. Your end is secure. And in your present, I will be with you because I love you. What more can he say than to you he has said? God is still speaking from the fire. Cling to the promises. Amen.